they call you and say, this is the IRS, we accidentally sent you a refund which is not yours, you need to send it back to us immediately or face some dire consequences. And by the way, invariably the way they want you to send the money back is to buy some gift cards or prepaid debit cards and give them the numbers that as soon as they have the numbers, they only need the cards, they can loot the money. I often implore people, the IRS is not going to call you and threaten you out of the blue anyway. They're not going to threaten to put you in jail if you don't do something immediately. But even if that sounds believable, when they say, and by the way, you need to pay your back taxes or pay a penalty or whatever is by going and buying an Amazon or iTunes gift card and giving us the numbers, I just wish people do it. In 2020, there were nearly 1.4 million reports of identity theft received through the FTC's IdentityTheft.gov website, about twice as many as in 2019. In 2019, the worst data breaches were the Capital One Financial Corps breach in July that exposed 100 million records. In October of that same year, Adobe Creative Cloud breach that exposed 7 million users. And then in 2017, the largest U.S. credit bureau Equifax suffered a breach that exposed the personal data, including social security numbers, of 145 million people. It was among the worst breaches on record because of the amount of sensitive information that was stolen. Is it possible to avoid and truly secure yourself from this threat? Well, today we welcome to Mid-South Viewpoint. Hi, by the way, I'm Byron Tyler. Glad you stopped by. But we have Randy Hutchinson, who's the president of the Better Business Bureau of the Mid-South. Randy, it's so good to have you on the show. Yeah, well, thank you for having me. Boy, those are some uh, crazy stats talking about identity theft, but we're hearing on the news more and more. We're going to talk about that, but since this is the first time you've been on the show, before we dive into that topic, you are a native of Washington, D.C., so you probably got to go to a lot of great museums. And <laughs> I was born in Washington, D.C. I grew up in Rockville, Maryland, which is a suburb of D.C., but yes, with the risk of giving away my age, I used to go to field trips in D.C. when the Smithsonian was just the one red brick castle. <laughs> Somebody can figure out how long ago that was. Uh, but then I went to school and uh, I got my undergraduate degree at the Western Maryland College and later, a little bit later in life, got a master's at Wilmington College in Delaware. And you were in the banking business for, what, 25 years? I was a banker for a long time, most recently here with uh, First Tennessee, uh, managing lending programs for that. Them, but have been with the Better Business Bureau since uh, 2002 as the president. Also, I understand that you are a member of the Rotary Club of Memphis and a graduate, too, of Leadership Memphis, which is a great mm-hmm. organization. Yep. What do you like best about the city of Memphis? You know, I've been here, what, 30 years now? Came from the D.C. area, a lot less traffic, yeah, a lot less congestion, <laughs> uh, friendlier people, the pace of uh, life. Well, well, we all work very hard here and accomplish a lot. I would have to say that the pace is just a lot more enjoyable than it is uh, certainly was up there, <laughs> yeah. although I, I, I love to go back up there. Well, that is wonderful. And I had, it's been a while since I've been in the D.C. area. Of course, COVID has changed the plans of a lot of mm-hmm. people on their travels, but I, I hope to take the family. I'd love to go back to visit, spend some time there. What great history. Just to be in Washington, is, it's a great yeah. place to be. Well, again, growing up, I, I did all the, the battlefields, Gettysburg, and, and field trips, Gettysburg, and all the monuments in D.C. And uh, yeah, Although I will tell you, when I go back up there, I can't find my way around. They've added <laughs> new highways, and there's so much more building that uh, it's even difficult for me to navigate. Well, the last time I was here, I was trying to navigate the subways. They're an incredible yeah. system. They're wonderful how they work. 
first time I've ever been in a city with subways, I had this favorite green cup my wife gave me to drink my morning iced coffee or whatever I wanted to put in it. And it was in my backpack and trying to squeeze through the door real fast. The cup got caught and went out the other okay. way. Right. So I lost that favorite cup in D.C. Yeah. <laughs> of course, they call it the Metro there. Yeah, the Metro. That's right. That's right. The, the Metro. But I love how it's organized. Well, Randy, the Better Business Bureau traces its roots back to 1912 as a private nonprofit organization whose mission is to focus on advancing marketplace trust. What were the circumstances that created the need for marketplace trust back in 1912? Actually, the story is interesting. A fellow named Samuel Dobbs, who at the time was the national sales manager for Coca-Cola, later the president of Coca-Cola, was sitting in a courtroom listening to his attorney defend Coca-Cola against government charges that it had conducted some misleading advertising. And even though the charges were dismissed, in the course of his defense, Coke's lawyer said, Judge, nobody believes advertising anyway. And Samuel Dobbs was so appalled that his own attorney <laughs> would say, you really just don't can't trust us, that he went out and started a truth and advertising movement that over time morphed into the Better Business Bureau. Now, do the BBB offices operate like a franchise of the National Better Business Bureau? Do they stand alone? How are you funded? Uh, we're licensees. Uh, there are, the number changes because of mergers, but I think there's 97 uh, Better Business Bureaus across North America, United States, Canada, one in Mexico. We are all licensees of a national organization called the International Association of Better Business Bureaus. But we, the Better Business Bureau of the Mid-South, uh, are an independent nonprofit corporation. We've got a, a 35-member board of directors who are local business people, uh, business owners, business executives. We are funded by dues from member businesses. We call them accredited businesses because accreditation connotes the fact that they have to meet our standards. You can't just write a check to get into the Better Business Bureau. Right. You first got to pass our screening, meet our standards, then we would love to have every business that's eligible uh, uh, join the Better Business Bureau. But we've got about uh, 4,400 and some members across the uh, 28 counties we serve. Explain the stars. You know, you got a three-star rating, a five-star rating that you hear businesses sometimes will use as they talk about their services. Well, there's really two kinds of ratings that we provide on a company. First is a grade. Uh, just like in school, A plus down to F, and just like in school, A plus good, <laughs> F not so much. Uh, uh, a member company has to have at least a B to be a member. We rate companies whether they're members or not. We handle complaints about companies whether they're members or not. So we rate the company, and that's based on uh, the type of business, how long they've been in business, uh, largely complaint kinds of related issues. But then we also, in, in, in the complaints, uh, and the grading, we work with uh, consumers and businesses to try to resolve uh, complaints. Uh, we don't judge it. We don't, frankly, decide that the customer's always right. The business may be right. They may just have a difference of opinion. But when it comes to complaint in the rating system, it's based on a process where we work with the parties to try to resolve an issue. A review is more like, and the stars are more like what people see with Yelp and Angie's List and TripAdvisor, where if a customer just wants to file a review, isn't looking for any help with anything. In fact, many reviews are positive. One of the reasons we decided to get into the review business was businesses were saying, you know, complaints, I appreciate you helping me out with a customer complaint, <laughs> but most of my customers like me. Can you let them tell you that? So we, uh, we let consumers file reviews that then lead to a star rating. I like that. But what influence does the BBB actually have with consumers? What percentage 
of the consumer population refers to your service prior maybe to doing business with a company or before starting a construction project? Okay, well, surveys have shown different numbers, but in fact, a high percentage of consumers, uh, almost everybody is familiar with the Better Business Bureau, a high percentage prefer to deal with an accredited business, uh, although there are good businesses who are not members, and they get good grades, and, and we appreciate that they do that. sure like to have them join. But last year, just in our bureau, uh, we got uh, about 1.2 million inquiries, our bureau, just 28-county area that we serve, uh, 1.2 million inquiries from consumers checking out a company to see what their record is. And at 1.2 was here in this area. Just a tw- we serve 28 counties in West Tennessee, North Mississippi, and then Crittenden County, Arkansas. The number nationwide is a couple hundred million. Yeah. So just 1.2 million, most of that through our website. But it's people coming to us. And really, it's good. Check a bit. It doesn't cost anything. It's quick. Uh, and certainly, if you find out that a company doesn't have a good record with us, or maybe in a particularly the, the construction, home improvement, contracting business, if we don't even have a record on them, that's a red flag. And, and uh, you know, we can refer you to BBB accredited businesses that we have vetted. We've checked their licenses. They've got a good record. Do you have the authority to shut a business down for surmountable complaints from the customers? No. What we have is largely the bully pulpit. We're a nonprofit. We're not a regulator. We don't like license companies. We can't yank licenses. We can, uh, if we find a business operating without a license causing problems, we may refer them to the state licensing authorities. But no, we rely on people coming to us to check out a company. And sometimes we'll put out press releases warning people about a bad company or a particular scam, more and more companies and scam bad companies in the eye of the beholder. I will tell you that probably the most disheartening thing to us is to get a complaint about a company, let's say a roofer, where a customer had a horrible experience, Mm -hmm. and we'll try to get it resolved if the company will work with us. Sometimes they ignore us just like they ignore the consumer. But what's disheartening is too often we'll check and see, well, that company had an F rating with us when you entered into the transaction. Why didn't you check? If you'd have checked, could have gone (laughs) to somebody who had an A-plus rating. So a word for the wise, it would be good to check before you start a construction project. Yeah, and we we recommend that you talk to friends and neighbors. You go online and Google them. I mean, don't stop with us. Don't necessarily start with us, but include us. (laughs) Include us. Okay, as stated in the opening of the program today, in 2020, there were 1.4 million reports of identity theft. How much of what you do locally deals with identity theft? We mostly give advice to people on identity theft, how to avoid it. Uh, If somebody really has been a victim of identity theft, depending on the severity and the type of identity theft, they're going to probably need legal help, need regulatory help, uh, maybe go to the police if it involves some criminal matter. But you mentioned the FTC, uh, a million or so reports to them. In fact, a, an equally, perhaps more authoritative source on an annual basis that I look at in, in terms of identity theft is an outfit called Javelin Strategy and Research. They do an annual survey where they go out and they survey enough people to get a feel for how many people were the victims of identity theft. And their number annually ranges between 12 and 15 million people are the victim. That was 2019. The numbers went up. They haven't published the 2020 And these are reported. Well, see, the FTC's numbers are reported. The Javelin Research, they sample enough people to come up with what they think is probably the number nationwide, reported and and unreported. But they haven't compiled the 2020 numbers. And I will tell you, given all the scams that we saw around coronavirus last year, I expect the number to have gone up dramatically.
Well, identity theft is showing up in multiple circles that pertain to our lives, such as tax, medical, and even child identity theft. I want to discuss a little more of each of these, starting with the tax identity theft. What are some examples of this? Well, I'll give you the three main forms of tax identity theft. First, a crook uses a person's, your or my, social security number, gets hold of it in some fashion, files a tax return early in the tax reporting season, claiming a fraudulent refund that they have sent to them. Okay? Then, of course, you file your own tax return, and the government comes back and says, excuse me, but we already sent you your refund. That happened to me. Okay. All right. And what was crazy, Randy, is that the thief, third-party organization, was working with our company, and they obtained the information yep. through that. Everything seemed like it was secure, safe, but it was through the company that they obtained the information. When it was all kind of cleared up, you're issued a PIN number. And mm-hmm. so every time going forward when annual right. income taxes are due, you have to submit that PIN number with your tax information before the IRS will process it. Yep. Well, and a couple of other forms. Uh, uh, a thief may steal and use your Social Security number to get a job. Or, interestingly, this year, the FTC, or the IRS, I guess it was, put out an alert about it. what I would call a more creative form of uh, tax identity theft, where the crook, similar to the first situation, they file a return in your name, but then they actually have the refund deposited to your account. But as soon as they detect, they have some way, these are sophisticated crime rings, as soon as they determine that the money's been deposited to your account, they call you and say, oh, this is the IRS, we accidentally sent you a refund which is not yours, you need to send it back to us immediately or face some dire consequences. And by the way, invariably the way they want you to send the money back is to buy some gift cards or prepaid debit cards and give them the numbers that as soon as they have the numbers, they only need the cards, they can loot the money. I often implore people, the IRS is not going to call you and threaten you out of the blue anyway. They're not going to threaten to put you in jail if you don't do something immediately. But even if that sounds believable, when they say, and by the way, you need to pay your back taxes or pay a penalty or whatever is by going and buying an Amazon or iTunes gift card and giving us the numbers, I just wish people, people do it. Yeah. People do it. Oh, Randy, boy, we are ignorantly trapped in these things. Well, like I said, you would think that your tax information is safe with your employer. Can you protect yourself from being a victim of tax identity theft? Well, the best thing to do is guard your information as best you can. You know, you mentioned uh, employer, a a lot of identity theft, and you talked earlier about data breaches. A lot of identity theft occurs as a result of information being stolen in data breaches. And, And frankly, our information is in databases we know nothing about in many cases. So you can't really protect yourself if if your employer or somebody else isn't protecting your data. But you want to, if you get a letter from the IRS uh, indicating that uh, they've already gotten a return from you or somehow mentioning wages, if it's uh, that you didn't uh, earn because somebody else is uh, taking your social security number and gotten a job, respond immediately. Don't dismiss it. Now, that's a letter. If you get an email, text, social media message, or a threatening phone call that says pay immediately or else, that's a scam. Really, so they're going to always communicate via letter? Yeah, certainly in the very early stages. I don't know that the IRS never calls people, but they certainly don't call people out of the blue and then threaten them with arrest and then say gift cards, okay? Yeah. And really, the best way to protect yourself from uh, tax identity theft, file your own return as early as you can, Yeah. so the crooks can't get in front of you. Yeah, exactly. Well, how big is the problem of medical identity theft? A survey uh, a few years ago 
uh, determined that 2.3 million people have been the victims in 2014. Uh, FTC data shows that number is increasing. And as opposed to financial tax-related identity theft, generally people don't lose money. It's a hassle getting your credit record straightened out, your, all your other bank accounts closed and new ones open. It's more of a hassle than it is a financial situation. Well, a medical identity theft, in many cases, people end up actually paying medical bills, paying legal bills to get the, their, their record straight. Uh, so it does, and it can have much more disastrous impact. Uh, one victim was arrested after her purse was stolen, and the crook used her IDs, her driver's license, her other IDs, medical IDs, to acquire more than 1,700 uh, opioid painkillers uh, illegally. Oh, my. She was arrested, and while ultimately she was able to convince the authorities that this wasn't me, it took her five years to get her uh, her life straightened oh, out. Oh, Randy. And, and uh, that same survey I mentioned, unfortunately, found that medical ID theft victims, 47% said it's a person I know, sometimes a family member. Really? So what are some of the signs? How can I detect medical identity theft? If you get a bill, Medicare summary, an explanation of benefits, showing services you didn't receive, you've been a victim. You get a call from a debt collector about a debt you don't owe, or your credit bureau, if you pull your credit report, it shows medical debts that you don't owe. Or you get a notice from uh, your health plan that says you've reached your benefit limit and and you haven't filed for any benefits. Any advice to avoid medical theft? Yeah, just like really uh, all kinds of identity theft, the first thing to start with is guard your information. Just because some company asks for it and it sounds legit, just stop even a kid's school. Stop and ask, why do you need that? And they may need it. You may need to give it to them. But guard it. Don't respond to any unsolicited phone call, email, text message uh, that purports to come from a hospital or somebody. Don't click on links and attachments. They can download malware to your computer. Shred uh, uh, medical-related documents and check your credit report annually just to be sure. Again, some of this advice is any kind of identity theft to be sure that sure. there aren't accounts or debts in there that uh, are right. not yours. Well, they have these protective services like LifeLock, oh. ID Shield, ID Watchdog. Are these good for consumers? Yes. They, everybody needs to make their own decision. Those are like insurance. You know, we buy insurance hoping we'll never need it, but if we need it, we've got it. Well, that's what those are, and for the most part, what they do you can do yourself but you can cut your own grass but people pay exactly someone else to cut their grass you can paint your own house people pay don't want the hassle so it's a judgment call Uh, if you need them uh, and you've got that service probably be uh, happy that you do well i have heard that you can perform the basic services offered by these companies often at no charge by yourself there's a website identitytheft.gov yeah identitytheft.gov, they offer free recovery paths that are outlined by the federal government. It's a, uh, I believe it's an FTC, web, it is a government website, I think it's an FTC website. The, yes, if you've been a victim of identity theft, that's a great place to start. It will walk you through all the steps that you need to take. It's got sample forms, letters you can send to credit bureaus disputing erroneous information. So uh, it is a great place to start if you've been a victim. Randy, the next area of identity theft I wanted to talk about is child identity theft. Why is a child's information particularly attractive to a thief? Their credit record is usually clean, may not even exist at all. Children generally don't check their credit records on a regular basis, so they're not going to detect that they've been a victim of identity theft. In fact, they may not find out 
that they've been a victim of identity theft. Let's say it's a 13 or 14-year-old child. They may not find out for seven or eight years until they go to borrow money to buy their first car or to rent an apartment, and all of a sudden uh, the lender runs a credit report and says, uh, you've got bad credit. So it just makes it very attractive to the crooks. Uh, One study in 2017 found that over a million children had been a victim of identity theft. Are there particular signs that you should watch out for in this area? Again, much like some of the other identity theft we've talked about, if you get collection calls, somebody <laughs> say, I need to talk to your kid. He hasn't paid his bills. <laughs> and he's six uh, years old, right? <laughs> or, you, or you or a family member's denied government benefits because uh, they've already been paid to someone using your child's Social Security number. IRS or another government agency asks you to confirm that your child is employed when the child's never had a job, as you said, maybe five or six. You file a tax return listing your child as a dependent, and the government comes back and says, no, we have that social security number associated with somebody else's uh, dependent. Or uh, again, if your child ultimately borrows, goes to borrow money or, or lease an apartment or get insurance, bear in mind that insurance companies and landlords pull credit reports also, and they're denied because of uh, bad credit. Well, Randy, as we mentioned, there are tons of scams, and there's new scams that are coming up. I'm sure you deal with, you discover, and you report on I was having dinner last night with my niece, and she was telling me about her friend that just recently got married. They hired a wedding photographer, and Mm -hmm. there's some kind of scam that this person was caught doing where she took the down payment of the money but didn't show up for the day of the wedding, and they come to find out she had been doing that same scam. She gained the attention of the bride and groom by maybe doing a portrait setting. They liked what she did. They put a down payment on, but when it got down to the big bucks, they lost out. Well, I'm going to repeat something I said earlier. I, I think in that case, I will bet you in that case, the Better Business Bureau already had a record on that person and that people that he had done it to or she had done it to earlier had probably filed complaints and that had the person, the bride that you're talking about, checked. I, I, I will bet there's a high likelihood there would have been a Better Business Bureau record with an F rating. Presumably, they would have gone someplace yeah. else. So, I mean, any kind of service. Here's a wedding photographer, but as we talked about contractors, construction, we really should check with you guys first. It's free. It's fast. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, it's disheartening to us when we customer has a horrible record with somebody already had a bad record with us. So, yes, people ought to check with us. Uh, and we encourage businesses. Certainly, we would like every reputable business uh, have to be reputable to become a, a member, a better business, be accredited business. But we certainly encourage them, even if they don't want to pay the dues, which are, are, are really rather modest. But they ought to at least have a record with us, certainly cooperate with us if they get any complaints to be sure they don't get a bad record. Because some customers, while many want to deal with a member company, others, at least if the company has a good record, that'll be sufficient. But uh, we, we certainly recommend that businesses, uh, particularly in the contracting business, be sure they've got an up-to-date record. Well, let's talk a little about the contracting business, because I know with COVID over the past, people not traveling as much. Some people are have been making improvements yeah. on their home and needing to do things around the house. What are some common home improvement scams? Bait and switch, particularly a problem with duct cleaning, carpet cleaning. You see an ad that says $49 whole house. And the technician gets there, and all of a sudden, there's some reason why it's four hundred dollars. Yeah. Okay? Uh, storm chasers, uh, you know, after every natural disaster, whether it's a storm, tornado, there are people who go from town to town, just following them and knocking on people's doors, generally targeting uh, senior citizens, and say, you know, I, I see that uh, you've got some uh, fence damage. I can repair that, or you've got some branches have fallen on your roof. Maybe you don't want to climb up there. I'll climb up there and get them. Yeah. 
and they end up uh, they demand cash and they're not around later when you find out maybe they didn't really do the job. I, I never want to say that anybody who knocks on your door unsolicited, everybody who knocks on your door unsolicited is bad. There, right. are, there are some good, honest tradespeople who do that, but it is just hard to separate the good ones from the bad ones. And then a common scam, been around for years, what we call leftover product, and I'll give you an example. Uh, a number of years ago, uh, a Berkler man, elderly man, uh, someone knocked on his door and said, uh, I was repaving your neighbor's driveway. I've got leftover asphalt. I see that you've got potholes in your driveway. What would normally be a $1,000 job, I'm going to do for you for $400 <laughs> rather than wait, throw this asphalt away. Well, the elderly gentleman said, oh, I like that, but I don't have 400 I only have 100 Well, it was his lucky day. He got that job done for 100 bucks <laughs> after the guy left. The first rain, whatever he put down, washed off the gentleman's garage door, got stuck to the garage floor. So just be careful of that sort of uh, ploy also. If somebody knocks on your door selling alarm systems, another problematic industry, door-to-door, or other things, um, and they pressure you and you yield and then they leave and you think, God, I really wish I hadn't bought that. The FTC has a law called the cooling off rule that in most of those cases, a sale made in your home you have a three-day right to to rescind the sale. Don't have to give a reason. And in fact, the salesman should give you a form to send them canceling it. If he doesn't do that, that's a red flag. Uh, he's not on the up and up. Randy, this has been great. Thank you so much for this really sound advice for identity theft, uh, looking out for contractors, making sure you don't get scammed. If somebody listening a business, per se, that is not a member of the BBB but would like to learn how, what can they do? Uh, well, we would welcome them uh, calling us. We'd have one of our account execs talk to them and, and determine if they're eligible. We, we have a vetting process. If they're in an industry that requires a competency license, we check to be sure. We don't know if not a accredited businesses have a license, but accredited businesses we do. But we, uh, we certainly – because the other thing, you know, when a customer gets scammed, either by an out-and-out scam or a bad home improvement contractor or the vacuum cleaner salesman, not only does the customer lose his or her money, but that's a sale that could have gone to a legitimate business. And so we, we certainly hope many of our members or companies are members because they appreciate the fact that we help weed out the bad actors yeah. in their industry. And so a phone number, a website? The website, the easiest way to get hold of us is uh, bbb.org. Locally, 759-1300. The 800 number is 800-222-8754. Randy Hutchinson, president of the Better Business Bureau of the Mid-South. Thank you so much for being our guest. Well, thank you for having me. We appreciate it. Well, friends, that's all the time we have on this edition of Mid-South Viewpoint. Thanks for stopping by. I'm Byron Tyler, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye.